My name is David. I want to welcome you here, Minister of Youth and Training, and it's my joy to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, Like Tim said, uh, Luke 18, verse 35, if you have your Bible, open up there. That's where we'll be uh, this morning, Uh, but let me begin with prayer. Oh God, uh, the one who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, uh, we give you praise. Uh, We bless you because you are the one who is beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. And yet through both nature and your word, you have revealed yourself to us. You have opened the eyes of our hearts to give us understanding and knowledge of who you are. You have revealed your mighty nature and your merciful character. And so we come to you today as ones who are not worthy of this condescension, not worthy or uh, deserving to see the shining flame of your glory. And yet, in your grace and mercy, you have shown that to us. But we know, even though we have seen just a glimpse, uh, just a small bit of your glory, we have this week many times uh, turned to looking at worthless things. Things not bad in themselves, but in comparison to you, uh, utterly worthless. And so we ask you, uh, Lord, that you would give us life in your ways. That you would give us, as Paul asks, uh, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. That we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe? Father, we ask you to let us see you as you are so that we might worship you as we ought. And for those uh, still walking in darkness, we, we pray that you would grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. That you would bring them out of the kingdom of darkness and into your marvelous light. We pray as we open your word that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you uh, will know the name Mr. Beast. Some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, Mr. Beast is a YouTuber. Uh, He is probably one of the most popular YouTubers out there right now. Uh, He has something like 155 million subscribers. Uh, His uh, videos regularly get millions and millions of views. Uh, He is uh, filthy rich, and he likes to show it. And he shows it by, in his videos, he gives away tons of money. He gives away cars. He gives away all kinds of things. And that's kind of the, his thing, is that he has a video where he's like, I gave somebody a free car. And they go, and that's the video. It's him giving away free stuff, or people have challenges where they earn $10,000 or whatever. That's kind of the videos that he makes. Uh, but he also does some kind of like philanthropy kind of things where he like goes and he plants, you know, trees to help, uh, you know, the rainforest or whatever. He does uh, kind of things like this. One of the videos that he did, it was similar. He, um, 
the title of the video was this, A Thousand Blind People See for the First Time. And so the video goes on to explain that, uh, you know, uh, about half of the world's blindness is actually curable by a 10-minute surgery. Uh, that uh, many of the people who are blind in the world, uh, there's basically their, their lens is uh, clouded. Uh, it's become clouded over time, so they see things very blurry or dark, and you can go in with this surgery now, and you can kind of take that lens out, and you can put in a, a brand new lens. Uh, you can see really clear. It, it, it's not a hard surgery. It's fairly quick. Uh, but most people in the world either don't have ask, access or don't have the money to do that. And so he goes in this video and he pays for all the surgeries. Uh, and all these people in America and around the world, uh, they're able to see. And so it's not really for the first time these people have seen before, but it makes a good video title. So uh, he goes and you, you see these people and they've got these kind of things over their eyes and they go into the surgery and they come out and they, they take off the bandages. And these people who, uh, they open their eyes and they're able to see clearly. And just their faces and their reactions, incredible. Right? These, these people, they haven't seen their kids' faces in decades and they look and they can see their kid's face. You know, it's just like, it's amazing that this technology, the things that we have to be able to, to open people's eyes to see these things. Uh, but what if you lived in a time when that kind of surgery was not available? You lived perhaps back in the time of Jesus, uh, where when you are blind, uh, you're blind. There, there is no surgery to, to cure you. Uh, there's really no hope at all. If you're blind, you will not see again. But could you imagine if you lived in that time, and that's your situation, you hear of this man named Jesus, this man who has opened the eyes of other blind people. There's one man who could cure your blindness. If you knew that, to what length would you go so that you could see again? To what lengths would you go to find this man who could heal you of your blindness so that you could see again? That's the situation we find ourselves in Luke 18 now. There's a man, a blind beggar by the side of the road who hears Jesus is coming, the one man who can heal him. And he does everything in his power so that Jesus would cure him of his blindness. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, Luke 18, verse 35 uh, let's read the text together. And he, as he, Jesus, uh, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those were who, who were in the front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is God's word. So here in the story, we see Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. 
And on his way, he's going through Jericho. Jericho is about 30 kilometers away from Jerusalem. He finds this blind beggar on the side of the road, someone not very important, uh, calls out to him. Jesus stops, heals him of his blindness. And this man begins to follow Jesus and everyone around him, glorifying and praising him. This miracle is the final miracle that's recorded in Luke's gospel before Jesus' resurrection. This is one of those ones that stands out. And what's interesting, when we think about Jesus and these miracles he performed, he performed many, what's interesting is each of them kind of tell us three main things about Jesus. His miracles always show us his compassion. Often Luke points out that Jesus had compassion on those who were blind or sick, and so he healed them. Jesus loved and cared for those in, in need. It, it often shows us Jesus' power. The fact that Jesus can actually open blind people's eyes. He can give uh, 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 the ability for people who can't walk to walk. It points to his power, his divine nature. But they also, all of these miracles point to something else. They point to his redeeming work on the cross. They point to, in a spiritual sense, what Jesus will accomplish and, and what he will do for, for sinners. And that's the one I want to focus on today. I want to focus on that third element in this particular miracle. Because we see that all of his miracles are a, uh, a foreshadowing. They're like a sneak preview of what will come and what will be true of those who are in Christ. So to be clear, this is a, a real event, something that happened, but something that points to the spiritual realities that are true for us. There's a, a theologian named uh, Richard Phillips. He writes a book uh, called Mighty to Save, where he goes through the various parables, uh, or, uh, sorry, the various miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And what he points out in each of these miracles is that there is an analogy between the physical needs and our spiritual needs. Each of the needs that we have corresponds to some uh, different aspect of sin that is being overcome. Let me give you some examples. He says, uh, when Jesus heals leprosy, uh, leprosy, it shows the corrupting power of sin in our lives. Uh, that uh, The paralytic, it shows sin's debilitating power. The dead, who Jesus raises, shows the wages of sin. The demon-possessed man shows our bondage to sin and to Satan. E each of these elements Jesus conquers. He, he shows that Jesus has the power over these things. And so the blind beggar today, it really shows us the blinding effects of sin. That we are spiritually blind and need Jesus to open our eyes to see him clearly. So we, we too need mercy from Jesus, just like this man. But most of us do not need physical sight. We need spiritual sight. And so that's what I want to walk through today. Three things that I want us to know about our need for spiritual sight. If you're taking notes, uh, the first one is that we need to acknowledge our blindness. We need to acknowledge our blindness. Uh, for the blind beggar, there's no mistaking uh, his blindness, he knew it. His physical blindness was very clear to him. It affected his entire life. Right? You can imagine if this happens slowly over time, he can sense his sight slowly going. Things become more and more difficult for him. Uh, we read that he's outside the city. So he, he wasn't living in the city. He's probably somehow an outcast. 
he's begging for money. It uh, means he's probably lost his job. He's not able to work because he's lost uh, his sight. He doesn't have anyone caring for him, perhaps abandoned by his family, or perhaps he's lost them. He's helpless, you know, in this. He's vulnerable. He's defenseless. If thieves and robbers come, he's a man. It's very difficult for him to live. His, the fact that he cannot see is very clear to him. But spiritual blindness, it's something that we don't seem to see as easily. And by spiritual blindness, just to be clear, by spiritual blindness, I mean our inability to know and understand God truly. That we cannot know or understand who God is truly unless he has revealed that to us, unless he has opened our eyes to see him as he is. Uh, we see this in scripture in, in Second Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes, in their case, the God of this world, uh, meaning Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, those who are not Christians, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We are blinded to see who God is, to see his glory, to see who he is and what he has done. We're not able to see that. But I think if you ask most people in the world, we wouldn't say that we are spiritually blind. In fact, we probably would think the opposite. Uh, many of the people today in our culture, around us, uh, we would feel in some way we're, we're a spiritual person. Right? They may not believe all of the uh, doctrines of certain religion, but they would be open to, to spirituality. They would say, I'm, I'm not religious, but uh, I'm spiritual. I, I'm open to something beyond this world, some greater purpose or meaning in life. Uh, there was one survey that was done about the differences between spirituality and religion, and there was a psychology st student who, who answered, and uh, I thought that they captured well what is kind of maybe the modern idea of spirituality. They said, spirituality is about going fishing and thinking about God and life. Religion is about going to church and thinking about fishing. <laughs> and while I don't totally agree with that, that is kind of the sense I think people have. That, you know, religion is kind of this uptight thing where you kind of wish you weren't there. But spirituality is this thing where we're kind of thinking about things greater than us. We're open to, to something greater, meaning and, and purpose. We want to connect with something that makes us feel maybe emotions inside or good vibes. Uh, there's a, a YouTube channel I watch called Real Engineering. The guy who runs it is uh, Brian McManus. And and he kind of talks about these amazing architectural things and innovations that people have done and breaks down the, the engineering of it. Uh, he was doing one on the Sagrada uh, Familia, which is a uh, cathedral in Spain, Catholic, Catholic cathedral, amazing place. Uh, it's, been being, it's in the process of being built for over 100 years. Uh, now they're still working on it. It's uh, just an incredible uh, tall building. You look inside, it's got these stained glass windows, these pillars that kind of look like a forest inside. Just amazing work of architecture. Uh, this is what he said about it. He said, I am by no means a religious man, but there's something inherently spiritual about this building that I think any person who shares the same awe of our mysterious existence on this planet will feel. For me, that is the root of all religions. 
And to me, this building is the ultimate celebration of spirituality. And so I think he captures well this idea that, that spirituality is this, uh, this awe of the mysterious, this, this openness to something else that's greater. And while that might not be true of everyone who considers themselves a spiritual person, there's a large segment of people who are open to spirituality in some way. And so when you say, you know what, we're all spiritually blind, that doesn't ring true for them. In fact, they feel that, no, I am sensitive to spiritual things. I'm open to those things. I, I don't say I'm spiritually blind. But this actually just makes our problem worse because it's not just that we're blind, but that we're blind and we don't think we are. And, and the, the important step is that we have to realize we are. There's this condition called Anton's syndrome. It's a, a rare condition that happens often people after people have uh, strokes uh, and they go blind. Except uh, in, in rare cases, these people even though they are uh, medically blind, they believe that they can still see. When you talk to them, when you ask them, they believe that they can see the world around them. For them, it seems true, and yet to everyone else around them, it's very clear that they're blind. It, it, it starts becoming evident as they kind of walk into doors that are shut. They start talking to people in the room who aren't there. Medically, scientifically, even experientially, everyone knows these people are blind, and yet they don't think they are. Because to them, they base their uh, knowledge of their blindness on their own internal sense of it. They don't feel blind. They don't think themselves to be blind, yet everything else objectively in the world is saying, in fact, you are. You are blind. And I think the same happens to us spiritually. We, we tend to think that because we have certain internal feelings, certain emotions or certain senses, certain vibes, that that means we are, in fact, a spiritual person. When objectively, God has said, you, you actually don't know me. Because it's not us who declares if we know God. God is the one who tells us if we know him. We need an objective standard, something to tell us whether we truly are connected to the true spiritual reality in the world, the living God. I mean, imagine if we never acknowledged our physical blindness. Right? You, you, you were physically blind, but you never acknowledged it. You could never receive help. Like this blind beggar, he would never cry out to Jesus if he never thought he was blind. He just thought everything was fine. The first step was that he had to actually acknowledge that he was blind. And I think the same is true for many of us. We must acknowledge that apart from God's grace working in us, we are spiritually blind. This is what Jesus himself says in John chapter 3. Talking with Nicodemus, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God let alone enter the kingdom of God. You can't even see it unless you've been born again, unless something's happened to you, a spiritual rebirth. So unless God opens our eyes to see, we are spiritually blind and we must acknowledge that need. So acknowledge our blindness. But the second thing we need to note is that we need to ask persistently for mercy. Mercy. 
ask persistently for mercy. Look at the, the blind man here uh, in uh, verse 36. He doesn't give up, even when other people are discouraging him. It says in verse 36, And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So he seems to have already heard of Jesus. He knows who he is. He calls out with this title, the son of David. It's a reference to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, the one, the promised one who would come and undo the effects of the curse. He knows that Jesus has the power to save and he realizes this is his one shot. This is his opportunity to actually be healed. And so he cries out. He's not going to be silenced because other people said, you know what, stop it. Stop talking, stop bothering Jesus. No, he's desperate. This is his only chance to actually be healed. He's going to cry out to, to Jesus. Right? If, you, if you're in the hospital and someone you know is, is, is sick, they need some care from the nurses, the nurses aren't uh, helping you, you're not going to just go once and then kind of give up. You're going to keep going. You're going to persist. And no, no, my friend, my, my kid, they need help because you're desperate. This man was desperate. He knew he needed help. And he knew Jesus was the only one who could give it to him. And when he cries out, Jesus stops. Look at verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Uh, this is incredible. Jesus stops. Th this is an, a real insight into the compassionate heart of Jesus. Jesus, super busy guy. Right? Like, he's got tons of people around him. He's got things to do. He's got places to go. Right? He's about to go to Jerusalem, accomplish the most important event in human history. He's got a lot on his mind. But he stops. He stops for this blind beggar, this guy on the side of the road. I'm, surely there was other more important people with him who wanted his attention. Surely there's other more important people in Jerusalem. But Jesus stops. He, he could have easily passed him by. And I just want to take a side note here, just to note that this is something Jesus often does. Jesus doesn't hang out with the popular kids. He goes and he hangs out with those who no one wants to be around. I mean, next week we're going to see in uh, our text Zacchaeus. No one wanted to be around Zacchaeus. And yet as Jesus is rock, walking through Jericho, he sees Zacchaeus. He invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus hangs out with the outcasts. He hangs out with the hurting. Those are the people Jesus makes time for. Do we? Like, do, do we make time for those people? I'll tell you, some of us, yeah, we're busy. We have things to do. We have places to go. But there's, there's people kind of on the margins. People who others don't seem to think is important, not just beggars. People who suffer from constant infirmities, disabilities, have additional supports or, or needs. Do we spend time with them? I 
I remember one of my friends, when I was working downtown, uh, I was at Westside Church, and he, he went to the church with me, and we worked together. When we were working downtown, we would go for uh, lunch for pizza. We'd go grab our pizza and bring it back to the office. And uh, often, when we were walking downtown, we would we'd go to the pizza place, and he would uh, buy what I thought was like, it was a lot of pizza for one guy. And so we'd go buy this pizza, and as we're walking back, there's some guys who were sitting kind of close by outside our office. And he'd stop by. He'd hand them the pizza, and he'd not just hand it to them, but he'd sit and he'd talk there. He'd talk with them for a couple minutes, often would pray with them. Sometimes he would share the gospel with them, but just went out of his way. Even though I was like, we got to get back. We got work to do. We got pizza to eat. <laughs> he, was, he was not like that. He was, he was a man who deeply cared for those that no one else did. And in that way, he, to me, very much modeled Jesus and showed me the kind of compassion that Jesus has for those around us. So Jesus cares for those, and so should we. But if we go back to our text for a moment, again, this blind beggar. A blind beggar asking persistently for Jesus to, for mercy, asking him persistently to stop, and Jesus stops. And if we apply that uh, to us and our spiritual condition, the same is true for us that we need to be asking persistently for Jesus to open our eyes. We need to ask and keep asking because there are going to be tons of things in our life that are going to keep us from that. Just like the blind beggar, there was men who said, be silent. There's going to be people around us in our life who are going to say, well, why, why are you still going to church? You know, I know you were into religion. That was kind of okay, but now you're kind of getting, starting to get a little bit weird about it. Like you're starting to really believe it. Everything in our life distracts us from asking Jesus for that mercy. All of our other physical senses. We know that spiritually, in that sense, we are blind, we are needy. But in our other physical senses, our taste, our smells, the pleasures, the entertainment, everything else, we can feel full from all of that and realize that we are still spiritually blind. I've met a number of people who express a lot of interest in Jesus. They realize that uh, they see people in the church and they look around and they say, these people have something I don't have. They, they see something about Jesus I don't see. I want that. Okay, let's begin reading the Bible together. Let's begin praying, asking God for that mercy to see that, to love him to know him. But I'll tell you, with most of those people, that desire, it lasts a few days, maybe a few weeks, but then it fades away. It fades away because there's other things that are taking their interest, filling up their senses, and their spiritual blindness becomes something that they are okay with. But this blind beggar, he was desperate. He knew there was no one else. No one else could heal him. No one else could give him the things he needed. So he came and he just kept asking. He was begging. And we need to do the same. If we know we need that mercy, we need to have our eyes open. We need to ask and keep asking. We need to not just let Jesus pass us by without asking him for that mercy. 
We can pray as Paul uh, prays in Ephesians chapter 1. We can pray this prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. You would know that you have your eyes open to see, but you've got to ask persistently as this man does, trusting that Jesus will stop for you. And that really brings us to the last point. The last thing we need to see is that we need to be willing to trust that Jesus is willing to open our eyes. Acknowledge our blindness, ask persistently for mercy, but trust that Jesus is willing to open our eyes. One of the key points that's emphasized in this passage is the man's faith, his belief, his trust. He really believes that when he actually asks Jesus to open his eyes, that Jesus is able and is willing to do it. Look at verses 41 and 42. Jesus asked the man, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. That trust that Jesus is actually going to do and be able to open our eyes, that that is the trust that we need. The faith that we need, that when we call out to Jesus for mercy, when we say, I need my eyes to be open to see you, we trust that he's willing and wanting to do it. We may not feel that we deserve it. We may not feel that we, we're worthy of it, but in fact, that's the whole point. Jesus stopped for this blind beggar, this nobody, and though we are nobodies to God, he will answer our cries. And when our spiritual eyes are opened, it is going to give us an understanding of who he is. If you remember back to 2 Corinthians, the passage we looked at at the beginning, I want to repeat that passage and then just show you what Paul says two verses later. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So you, you can't see who he is. You don't know it. You don't understand God and all his goodness and what he's done in the gospel. But then he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he's shown, he's he's given us the ability to see the knowledge of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It is to have our spiritual eyes opened to see Jesus clearly for who he is. Not just to know who he is intellectually, but to see the glory of it, to see the amazingness of it, to see, ah, this is the glory of God. To be excited, joyful that this is the God we serve. Not just to know facts about who he is, but to have our hearts filled with joy. And when we see this, we need to see that this is all completely a work that God does in us, not not a work that we do. See, if we look in the story, it is not the blind man's faith that heals him. It's not the blind man's faith that heals him. Jesus heals him. But the faith is the means by which he receives 
that healing. He believed, he trusted that Jesus would actually heal him, and he did. And the same is true of our spiritual sight. We, we don't give ourselves spiritual sight. It's something done completely by God. Spiritual sight is not uh, cured, our, our, our spiritual blindness is not cured simply by straining harder to see. Spiritual straining, spiritual trying. No, our spiritual sight is cured when our spiritual eyes that are clouded by sin are taken out and a new lens is put in. A new clear lens which lets us see God clearly as he is. And we see his glory and his goodness and our lives and our hearts are transformed. See, this, this is what makes the Christian understanding of spirituality unique. It makes it unique because Christian spirituality, it's not something that can be obtained or learned from a guru. It's not something that can be obtained by your own efforts or your own practices. It's not something that can just be sought after. Christian spirituality is something that's been done to you. God has given you new sight to see where you could not. It's something that God has to do in your life, do to you. That's why we call it grace. We, we sing the song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind. But now I see. And it's all grace. It's all the work that God has done in us. He is the one who has opened our spiritual eyes to see him. And so I want to leave you with this call, really, to, to trust that Jesus is willing and able to open our spiritual eyes. Many of us in the room have already had that happen. We have seen how God has moved in our lives and in our hearts to see him clearly, to see the goodness of the gospel and to believe and trust in him. And if that's true, then our response should be like what the blind man's response is. Look at verse 43. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So you can imagine this, this blind man, his eyes opened, amazing new life offered before him. All of the choices that he used to, he couldn't do, he, he now has. He can go, he can work again. If he has family, his kids, he can go and look at them and see them. His whole life is set before him. There's a multitude of ways he could go. What is the first thing he does? He followed Jesus. He followed Jesus and glorified God. He went and became part of the group following Jesus to learn from him and to love Jesus. Matthew Henry, who was a commentator back in the 17th century, he, he said this, about this passage, he said, the best evidence of spiritual illumination, ha having our eyes opened, is a constant, inseparable adherence to Jesus Christ as our Lord and leader. How do you know if you've had your eyes opened? You want to follow Jesus. You want him and you want to be with him. You want him, your Lord, as your leader, as your master, you want to follow him and glorify God. 
in all of your life. That's how you know your eyes have been opened. But there's some of us here who, maybe that's not true. Maybe, again, we, we look around at the church, we, our friends or family or people we know, and we say, there's something that's true of them that's not true of me. There's an excitement about God. There's a joy that they have. There's something about God they're seeing that I'm not seeing. Then what do we do? Then we acknowledge our blindness. We ask him persistently for the mercy to see, and we trust that he will give it to us. Right? All of that, it, it's something that we don't do to deserve or earn. It's something that's been bought for us. See, Jesus Christ on the cross, he made a way for us to know God and to be with him. He took on all of the penalty of our sin so that our sins could be forgiven. We could approach God once again. He was the one who, in a sense, he paid for the surgery. He was the one who did everything needed so that we could actually know and love and be with God forever. So expect, expect trust that God can and is willing to give you that sight if you will ask him. Not because you deserve it, not because you earned it, because you asked for mercy. Yes, there, there is a 10-minute surgery that can fix half the world's blindness. But there's one thing that can fix all of the world's spiritual blindness. Jesus. And so here's the question. It's the same question I asked at the very beginning. If you know, if you know that there is one man who can cure you of your blindness... To what lengths will you go? To what lengths will you go to have Jesus cure you of your blindness? Let me pray. Father, we just give you praise that for many of us, you have indeed opened our eyes to see you and to see the glory of you and your mercy that you have bestowed. We thank you that through Jesus Christ, you have given us everything we need in life. To know you and to enjoy you and to glorify you is indeed the chief end and aim of our life. And so we pray though, Lord, for those who don't, that you would open their eyes, open their eyes to see you and see what we in your grace have been given eyes to see. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.